Okay, so we're ready to go for today. We do have a quiz coming up today. Um, that is, that's the one that's one, one of one that'll be in class. There'll probably be one more at the very end of the semester that I'll do in class, usually the very last day. And I will go over everything that you need to know for it. I'll give you, I'll give you the answer. I mean, the answer will be up on the board before you're done. Of course, I'll erase it before I give you the quiz, but you'll have seen the answers exactly what you need for the quiz. So I'm not trying to hide anything from you on it. It's not, not going to be a major, not going to be anything too, it's going to be important. It's important material, but it's, I'm not going to try to hide it from you and make you come up with something or try to decipher something that I came up with. And pretty much I'm going to give you the exact answers to what you need to give me for the quiz. I just won't leave it up on the board for the, for the quiz. So. Picture of the day to start out. Two pictures, actually. We have two pictures of the sky. And when you see these type, this type of shape in astronomy, it's usually an entire sky picture, sort of stretched out into, the, into a like oval like this. So they're looking at the entire sky. And in this case, it's the entire sky in gamma rays. So it's looking at where the gamma rays are coming, the real high energy particles are coming from the, from the sky. So we have. If you see, there's this galaxy. Our galaxy right here goes right across the middle the way the picture's taken. So our galaxy always goes right across the middle. And there's another object pointed out there. It's a pulsar, a very energetic object that emits a lot of energy, emits a lot of gamma rays. And you can see it in both pictures. You can see it here. It's not labeled, but you can still see it in the other one. You can see our galaxy looks about the same. Only thing that's different in these pictures are taken one day apart. March 6th, March 7th, is that all of a sudden the sun appeared. This is the entire sky. So the sun, was, the sun was, was out that day. The sun was out on the 6th. But it wasn't emitting any gamma rays. So it was invisible to this satellite that was taking the, taking the images. So when it took the images here, the sun was there, in fact, right in the same spot. But it, did, wasn't, it wasn't emitting any gamma rays. All of a sudden, one day later, it's the brightest gamma ray source in the sky. And what happened is, if you remember those dates, that's the dates of one of those major solar flares. Remember we had over break, you had all those solar flares, solar, they're still coming, right? There's another one that's supposed to hit sometime today. A solar flare erupted two days ago and the material is supposed to get here today. So this is actually showing one of those, one of those solar flares. Those solar flares are so energetic coming up that they can actually be some of the strongest gamma ray sources in the sky. And that's what you're seeing here. The sun was completely invisible in gamma rays. Still could see it with you know, visible light, infrared, ultraviolet. You still would have seen it. But in gamma rays, normally the sun emits essentially nothing. It's invisible. All of a sudden, one day later, it's the brightest thing in the sky. So that's what we're seeing is the evidence of some of those flares that we've been looking at over the past, over the past couple of weeks that we've been constantly getting hit with hit with flares. So, questions? Questions? And I did, I skimmed through, I kind of stopped at the quiz once I explained it over here. We do have an article review due tomorrow. So if you have it today, I'll take it. And if you do not, if you're going to email it to me tomorrow, make sure you get that to me tomorrow. And then the iTunes quiz is up and available through Sunday. And homework five, which I gave you last time, is due uh, next Friday. So the end of the end of next week. And then I have the exam scheduled. Still iffy, I'm still working on the exact date. I don't think it's not going to be any earlier than that. And it might might be the the following week, just depending on how things how things go. Okay, so now are there any questions? 
Otherwise, we got a bunch to do today, so we'll continue on with that. Let's see. We are we were almost done with chapter 10. I'm just going to go through the pretty much we had looked, we'd finished up last time we were looking at stellar masses. And I'd shown you this slide. In fact, we'd gotten pretty much gotten to the next one that showed you that you know, we talk about the sun. We looked at some of those very big stars last time and this made the sun look very very tiny. But when we look at many at all the stars overall, just a good random sample of every star, you know, I'll take all stars in the galaxy, a good sample of those. The sun's actually a very big star. Most of the stars, 41%, 19%, and 28%, add those up, that's what? 60, 78, 70, 88% of the stars are the mass of the sun or less. So 88% of the stars are less massive than the sun, only 12% are more massive. So the sun's actually a very big star. If you just pick a random star out of the sky, the sun's going to be a relative, just out of this galaxy, the sun's likely to be bigger than it. You know, 88% chance that it's bigger, as big or bigger than that, than that random star. The thing is that most of these ones here are just so much brighter that they're the ones that are easily visible. These much more massive stars emit a lot more energy and are much more visible to us. So there are a lot of small stars. They're just hard to find. These very small red dwarf stars, we can see them when they're close to us. But if they're even a hundred, couple hundred light years away, which isn't unusual for stars, most of the stars that we see are that distant, but even these things at a couple hundred light years aren't going to be visible even through powerful telescopes. They just don't emit enough light. They're just too, they're too faint. We see them only when they're, when they're very, very close to us. So that was where we'd finished up and then all we really had left was going to go through the summary for chapter 10, which pretty much um, talked about parallax. So for the nearest stars and only for the nearest stars, a few hundred stars, maybe, that we can actually determine a direct distance using parallax. So looking at the orbit, looking at the star from one edge of the Earth's orbit, waiting six months later till we've gone to the other side of our orbit, and watching how that star moves against the background of the more distant stars. It's a very small movement. Again, even the closest star would be less than one second of arc, or one three thousand six hundredth of a degree. So it's incredibly small angles that we have to measure, and that's why we can only do it for the nearest stars. Brightnesses, we talk about apparent brightness and absolute brightness. Absolute brightness is how bright a star really is, how much energy it is, con it is actually putting out. The apparent brightness is how bright it looks to us on the Earth. It doesn't necessarily mean anything about how bright the star is. It can have more to do with how close it is. Uh, you know, the sun's the brightest star we see, right? It's incredibly bright. But if we put the sun at the distance of any of the other stars, it would be a rather faint star. It's not incredibly bright. So the apparent brightness and the absolute brightness tell us two different things. One just tells us how much energy we're getting from the star, depending on its distance, how far away it is from us. And the other tells us how much energy it's really putting out. And that's absolute luminosity as a way to compare. You can compare the stars. You can look at two stars. If you have their absolute magnitudes, you can compare them and tell which one is really the brighter star. When you just look at them in the sky, you can't tell whether one's, is it a really, really bright star or is it just really, really close to us? And you can't tell that difference just by looking at it. 
spectral classes we looked at, which had to do with the temperatures. The spectral classes were that O, B, A, F, G, K, M, right? And that gave us different surface temperatures, O stars being the hottest and M stars being the coolest. And we talked a little bit about sizes of stars and how that's related to luminosity and the temperature. So we could actually determine the size of a star if we knew what its luminosity was. And again, luminosity is the true measure, how bright it really is. And its temperature, that's the easy one to measure. We could measure the temperature pretty easily. Then we could actually have some way to determine sizes because we can't actually see a star. You, know, you, can see the, you can see the light coming from it, but I can't see it as a little tiny disk in the telescope. Even through the most powerful telescopes, there's only a handful of stars that actually look like a disk. And then, finally, and we're going to come back to the HR diagram today and I'm going to show you that some more. It's a plot, it's a diagram, talks about stars, and it plots the luminosity of a star, their true brightness, against its temperature. And we saw last time that there was a diagonal line pretty much going from the upper left down to the lower right, which we called the main sequence. That's where most of the stars would, will lie on the HR diagram. And that's what we'll see as we sort of plot together, put together an HR diagram today. Distance ladder, again we started on that here, we're going to come back to it. Distance ladder started with parallax, that's the one direct measure. That's the one way we can directly measure the distances to the stars. Spectroscopic parallax uses the HR diagram. So if we determine, measure the temperature of a star, determine its spectral class, that's a very easy thing to get. Once we know what where the main sequence lies, we can determine then what the brightness of a star is just by measuring its spectral class. So we measure its spectral class and we can determine its true brightness. If we know what its true brightness is, then all of a sudden we can get the distance. The hardest thing, one of the harder things to get in addition to distances is masses. Mass or masses are very difficult to determine. In order to determine it has to be a binary star system. You need something orbiting that star or two stars orbiting each other in order to determine the mass. If you have a nice, nice star sitting there all by itself, there's no way to get the mass of it. You have no way to determine that mass directly. You can get it indirectly by saying, well, let's see, it's a star all by itself and it's, a just, it's the same spectral type as the sun, so maybe it's about the same mass as the sun. But you have no way to actually get that calculation. And mass will determine where on the main sequence the star lies. The very low mass stars are in the lower right hand corner, lowest mass stars, and the very hottest stars are in the upper left hand corner. So, any questions for chapter 10 before we go on to chapter 10A? Or go on to more details of the HR diagram, I should say. No? Okay. Alrighty. So we are going to go on to, it's going to go a little more, it's going back to the HR diagram, so it's sort of what we've done. Sure. Quiz 4 was on what specifically? I'm sorry, say it again. again? Quiz 4? Quiz 4 is going to be on what I'm giving you right now. I'll even tell you, don't worry. I'm not, not going to hide it from you. I'm not just going to put a bunch of things up on the board and one, it's going to be one of them. I will tell you exactly what it's going to be. So you'll, you'll know before. So what is the, first of all, what is the HR diagram? We've gone over some of this already. The HR diagram plots the temperature of a star against the true brightness of a star. So the true bright, I say brightness there, again, that's not just how bright it looks in the sky, 
That's how bright it really is, how much energy it is actually putting off. So we're talking about the luminosity, how much energy is really being put out. And what you're going to see is that this is a tool that we're going to use constantly in the next chapter, or next two chapters. Chapters 11 and 12 talk about how stars form and how stars die. So it talks about the life of a star, and we're going to use the HR diagram quite a bit over the next two chapters. You're going to see a number of HR diagrams to explain how that works and explain how we see the stars, how the stars change. And the reason is that we can study them on the HR diagram by looking at a lot of different stars, but we can't study the life of any one individual star. Their lives are, are too long. You know, even the short-lived stars might last two, three million years, their life. That's real short for a star, but that's a heck of a long time for us to wait for a star to evolve. And that's a very short-lived star. Stars like the sun, you're talking 10 billion years. You know. Look at it now, it's not going to come back now a billion years, the sun isn't going to have changed much. Come back two billion years later, the sun still isn't going to have changed much. It might be getting a little bit, it's changing a little bit, but not drastically. And not what we'll see later, as we can see with the other stars, when you can sort of compress the time scales and look at that, we'll see. So it'll be a very basic tool that we're going to use over the next couple of chapters and learn a lot about the stars because we can look at stars at all these different stages and interpret where the sun will go. So we can look at stars that are older than the sun, that are five billion years older than the sun, and we can say, okay, this is what will happen to the sun a little bit later. So we'll talk about how stars evolve and eventually what happens to them. Okay, so what we have First we're going to plot it. So the components of it, components of the HR diagram, you have on the horizontal axis. So over here on the X, you're going to plot temperature, But of course, we're, um, astronomers do this, so we do it backwards. So it doesn't go from small temperatures to big temperatures. It goes from big temperatures to little temperatures. So temperature actually increases this way. So these are the hottest stars, and these are the coolest stars. So we do it, ba do it backwards. Now that's not necessarily the only thing that's plot that can be plotted there. And Depending on what you're doing, a lot of astronomers don't plot the temperature. Usually the temperatures are plotted if you're doing a theoretical model because when you do a theoretical model, the temperature is the natural thing that comes out. You know, your calculations give you the star is, you know, 5,816.2 degrees. Okay, it gives you a number. It doesn't give you a spectral class. You'd have to convert that. These two are actually things that astronomers measure. We can measure the spectral class of a star. And the spectral class and the temperature are directly related. So you could also plot just as easily on an HR diagram, you could also plot just as easily the spectral class. So O, B, A, F, G, K, and M. That's something you can measure. The other thing that we plot is the color index. 
and I'm going to go over this in just a minute, a little bit more detail. Color index is another way that we measure, in fact it's a way of measuring sort of the spectral class and a way of measuring the temperature. And it's just, a, just looking at this star at two different colors and tells us is it a relatively blue star? So is it, uh, let's see, it goes from about minus, could be as small as minus a half for a very, very hot star. And maybe a very, very cool star would be about plus 2.0. You don't need to know the exact numbers. The smaller the number, the hotter the star. The bigger the number, the cooler star. I'm not going to expect you to know the exact numbers. So color index, if you do it, you like that one, right? That one actually increases that direction. So color index increases to the right, just like you'd normally expect. If you're plotting a graph, that's normally what you do. Now, the color index is something that I, so, I sort of showed you without telling you what it was last time. I sort of gave you, I gave you a rough idea, but I really didn't explain it in the same terms. What you have for the color index is that you look at the star and you look at it in two different filters. And if you remember last time we looked at that, we saw the black body spectrum of the star and we looked at different bands. So we saw that sometimes there was more light in the blue band than there was in the visual or yellowish band. And sometimes there was more in the yellow than there was in the blue. So if you measure the brightness of the star in two different filters, you get what's called the color index. So you take the blue magnitude. So B is the magnitude in the blue filter. V is the magnitude in the visual filter, which is really like a yellow. And if we subtract those two, that gives us what we call a color index, which depends on the temperature. The higher the temperature, the brighter the star will be in the blue relative to the visual, right? As you get hotter and hotter, you tend to get bluer stars. So a hot star is brighter in blue. If you're brighter in blue, what does that mean about your magnitude? Bigger or littler? You're brighter in the blue. It's brighter? Magnitudes are backwards. Yeah, remember magnitudes are backwards. So if, the, if it's brighter in the blue, that means it's going to have a smaller numerical magnitude. So if it's brighter in the blue, then this number is going to be smaller than this one. So if you take a small number and subtract a big number, you get a negative number, right? Take you know, a half and subtract one, you're going to get negative a half. That would be a very hot star. If you have a cool star, a cool star is going to be brighter in the V, which again means that's going to be a smaller, I should say, V magnitude. 
So if we take, so if this V is smaller, you're taking now a larger number, fainter star, subtracting a smaller number for the brighter component and you're going to get a large number. The bigger they differ, the further you go towards either extreme. So the more difference you get between these two, you know, when they're even, that's right about in the middle. That's right about in spectral class A here. Then they're about equal. As you go further and further towards the cooler stars, the blue drops off real quick. So that blue number gets very, very faint and becomes a large number, faint star, large number, very quickly. And then the V will stay larger. You're still getting more light in the yellow. So the difference between the two becomes much greater and you can actually get down to, you know, two or even more for some of the coolest stars. So again, you don't need to be able to calculate it. I just wanted you to have seen it because you're going to see it probably on some of these HR diagrams. I just want you to know what it is. The whole idea that I need to want you to know is that the small numbers mean a very, very hot star and the big numbers mean a very, very cool star. And that's telling you the colors. A very cool star is very red and might have a color index of plus two. A Negative number is a much bluer star, a very blue star, might have a color index of minus a half. Those are about the extremes that you'll go to. There are very extreme stars, especially on the cooler end. There's extremely cool stars that go a little even further than that. The sun's somewhere in the middle. The sun's about a little over plus a half, 0.656 if you want the exact number. Again, you're not going to be tested on, on the exact number, but the sun's somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle there. A star a little bit hotter than the sun would be one that actually has a color index of zero. But it's just another way of measuring the temperature. So it's just another way to get the temperatures of the star. It's something we can measure very easily. Because all we have to do is take a picture of a star, put a, put a, a special blue filter on the telescope, take a picture of a bunch of stars, measure how bright they are, do the same thing, take a picture of the same field with the visual filter, compare the two, and you can tell how hot each of those stars was. Just by making those two measurements, I can determine how hot each of those stars is. So you can get temperatures of the stars very easily, and that's a lot easier than going through the spectral classification exercise. Remember, we looked at the spectra, and you had to look at you know, where the hydrogen lines were strong or where the heat, you had to look at all the different lines. That's a more time-consuming process. This is a very quick way to get a good measure of temperature and a very easy way to plot an HR diagram. So you've got three things you can put there. Temperature, Spectral class or color index. And it just depends on what kind of numbers, you're, what kind of data you're getting to work with it. On the vertical axis, again, the one axis measures temperature, the other measures the intrinsic brightness or the luminosity. So you might plot luminosity. Luminosity from very faint stars to very bright stars. That's nice. If you're plotting luminosity, it actually does increase the way you think it was. The real small numbers for luminosity would be down here. The real bright numbers for luminosity, real bright stars would be large numbers, would be up towards the top. That one actually makes sense. You can also plot the absolute magnitude. absolute magnitude. We can plot that. That's just another measure of the luminosity. Only thing to remember if you plot absolute magnitude is that bright stars 
are very small numbers. Faint stars are very large numbers. So if you plot absolute magnitude, the numbers, brightness still increases to the top. You haven't changed anything. The diagram will look the same, but numerically when you look at the numbers, it's going to increase going downward. And you can also plot, sometimes, apparent magnitudes. Now remember I said absolute magnitudes are hard to get. You have to know the distance to the stars. You have to know how bright they really are. That's not something you just see when you look at it. Apparent magnitudes are much easier. That's just how bright things look at look in the sky. That's real easy to get. So if we can plot this, you know, and I said in special cases you can, then that makes it a lot easier. You don't have to do any extra measurements. You can just make the measurements. You can get a total measurement of how bright the star is. You can measure the color index of it. And you have your HR diagram. The only problem is, as I remember I told you, the apparent magnitude depends on the distance. Right? So the stars, some, you can't just pick a random sample of stars because some are further away, some are closer together. In some special cases, such as in a cluster of stars, they're all essentially at the same distance from us. Okay? If we look at a cluster of stars, you know, group of stars. Okay? There's a group of stars here. There, there's some here, some here, some here. But if we're far enough away, they're all really at the same distance. You know, if you're going to make a trip to Los Angeles, you don't you consider the distance from Harrisburg to Los Angeles. You don't say where are you going in Los Angeles? It's all the same distance, right? Yeah, this little bit might be a few miles further away from you or a couple of miles closer. You're not going to take that into account when you're doing your calculations to how long it's going to take to get there. Same thing happens with a cluster. You may have a cluster of stars and they may be light years apart. But when you're talking thousands of light years distance from us, that's negligible. It really doesn't matter. And it's sort of similar, you know, you're not going to measure where you're going in Los Angeles. When you get there, it makes a difference. If you were to actually travel in a spaceship to that cluster, make a big difference when you're getting there. It's, well, we're here, but we've still got 10 light years to go to get to the star we want to. Same thing, you get to Los Angeles, well, we're at Los Angeles, but I've still got to drive another 10 miles or whatever to get where I want to go. But when you're thinking overall of distances, they're really, every part of Los Angeles is the same distance from Harrisburg essentially, if you're going to talk about traveling there. Same thing is true in a star cluster. In a star cluster, they're all really the same distance from us. None of the star clusters are that close to us where there's a big difference between you know, how close the star clusters are to us, to each other, how close those stars are to each other, their separation, their distances, as compared to the distance from us. The distance from us is so great that that little bit of a difference between them doesn't really make any difference. So really all the, all the stars are the same distance from us. We could do the same thing if you looked at a galaxy. You know, the Andromeda galaxy is as big as ours. But really all the stars are still two million light years away. You know, our galaxy might be a few thousand light, you might be talking a few thousand light years between stars. But out of two million, what's a couple thousand? So in special cases where we know it's the, all the stars are related together in a cluster, then we can plot the apparent magnitudes. And we'll see some of those later on. So here's examples of a couple of HR diagrams. And we looked at some of these, looked at least the one of these previously. So you might plot, and you'll see, you can put you know, temperature here. You can put spectral class here. This one actually shows the color index. And you can also look at the magnitude. You could look at luminosity, how bright the stars really are. And you could, or you could look at absolute magnitudes. 
just again, depends on, they're, they're all reasonable ways to look at it. You can use different combinations of them. As I said, if someone is doing a theoretical calculation on a star and putting all the equations into the computer, well, you're not going to get naturally out of it magnitudes and color indexes, indices or classes. You're probably going to get temperatures and luminosities out of it. And that's what you'd use for the diagram. But it's going to be the same diagram, and you can see sort of even these two compare. You have the main sequence, main sequence. You have some red giant region, red giant. And you have a white dwarf region. Not too many on this one, a few more on the others. But the patterns you're going to see across them are going to be exactly the same. It doesn't matter which units you use for the, for the axes. Some other things that we can determine, and we looked at this one again last time, is that the HR diagram also gives you information about the size of the star. As you go further up, like on the main sequence, these are the very, very lowest mass stars. And as you go further and further up, you get to the higher mass stars. Something like the sun is about here. These may be a tenth the mass of the sun. These may be 10 to 50 to even up to the upper, to upper level, 100 times the mass of the sun. So we can learn something about where the more massive stars are and where the least massive ones, at least on the main sequence. And if you see those other little dashed lines on there, that's telling you where, it's telling you the size of the star. And the sizes go diagonally, sort of parallel to the main sequence. That, in fact, if you look, this one that says 1R, little circle with a dot in it, that's a symbol for the sun. So one solar radius. And that tells us that most of these stars on the main sequence, at least from about here to about here, are really all about the same size. There's not, doesn't mean one isn't a little bit bigger or one is a little, but they're all very close to the same size. But as you move further towards the upper right, what happens? You get stars that are the size of the sun, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times the size of the sun. So you get up towards much bigger and bigger stars as you move from the lower left where the tiny stars are, the teeny tiny white dwarfs. So as you go diagonally up, you end up with the very largest stars in the upper right-hand corner. Now let me see, did I? Nope, I want to go back one second. We're going to come back to that. Nope, I'm going too fast. <laughs> Wait a second, let me go back a couple here. I'm sorry, question? Blue giants would be just up off the edge of the main sequence here. They're going to be in the blue part of the blue part of the HR diagram, so over here. But they're the giant stars, so they're really up above the main sequence in this area. So the main sequence goes up; they'd be up in this corner. That would be a blue giant star. Again, the bigger stars are going to be up higher, larger stars. So you'd have stars. The diameter of the stars increased. Your largest stars would be up here. In the, way up in the corner. They get larger and larger. So you'd still have very big stars here, but these stars would actually be bigger. And let me sketch in. You'd have the main sequence, look something like that. That's where most of the stars lie. We had the white dwarfs down here. We had red giants. And then even up here, you'd have supergiants. So even larger stars. Those are, those are the biggest. The red supergiants would be the largest. 
Yes, you'd have blue, gi blue giants would be up over towards this, towards this part of the spectrum, this part of the HR diagram. So they'd be blue because they'd be cooler, they'd be hotter, but they'd be very up towards the top of the top of the top of the HR diagram. And what we'll see is that stars have a specific spot on the main sequence. So we can go look at any star today and come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and it's going to stay in the same spot. It's only over very, very long time periods that they actually will move and move from one area to the next. So the sun right now is a main sequence star. It's one I didn't put in there. Uh, somewhere in there about is our sun. And it stays there right now. But eventually, if you could come back in five billion years, the sun will be up here as a red giant. And if you could come back another hundred million to a billion years after that, it might be up there in the super giants. Can you explain that transition on, from the other, um, the other HR diagram where it had like, them all kind of moving? The previous one? Which one? This? Which one? How they were all kind of like shifting to the right in the middle? On the left-hand side here. What we're looking at here, this is like the this is like a, this is the HR diagram. What you're seeing is, you're seeing here all the different stages as stars are leaving the main sequence, and you're seeing all the different stages at different areas because it doesn't just jump; it doesn't go from here to here immediately. It will, over the course of you know millions of years, slowly increase and work its way through here. So it'll take it some time to actually do this. So a star like the Sun will sit here, and it's slowly changing now, even now. Sun is slowly, slowly working its way towards the red giant region. It's incredibly slow. We're not going to notice it in our lifetime. We're not going to notice it in a dozen lifetimes. But it's a very, very slow process, but it's slowly getting there. If you could come back in a billion years, yeah, the sun will be you know, probably a little bit larger and a little bit hotter, or a little bit cooler, a little bit larger, a little bit brighter, say. It's going to move up and towards this red giant region. It may even cool off a little bit. But it takes it a very, very long time. What you're seeing here is a snapshot. So you're seeing these stars. Each of these stars, you're seeing them at some stage in their life. Some of them are a little older than the sun, and they've moved into the red giant region. So they've actually gotten to here. Maybe they haven't quite gotten to it. They're in the process of getting there. But we don't see it in real time. We don't get to sit there and watch the sun, as I'll show you in a little bit. You don't get to sit there and watch the sun as it moves up here and then goes over. And it has a complicated pattern that I'll show you that it will take. That we can do theoretically, we can calculate. But it takes it a long time. And we're going to go through this again in the next two chapters. We're going to go over it in a lot more, a lot more detail. So now, when we talk, this is where we talked about clusters. This is where we can use the apparent magnitude. And I sort of already explained that, that we can use the apparent magnitude simply because we have the distances. The distances to all the stars in the cluster are the same. And then I got the yucky formula on there, I know. Which way did I write it here? Okay. Plus five? Minus five. Nice. Should look familiar. I gave you something very similar to this on your homework. In fact, your homework one probably looks like this, and that's the one I should have put up here, too. Equals. 
You don't need to worry about how or why, but they're the same equation. Those two are identical. If you, if you, know, if you know logarithms, you can go through and show that those two are the same. You don't need to worry about it, but they are. So if you did a calculation, you put numbers into one of these, you're going to get the same thing if you did either way. I just wanted because this is the one I think I put on your homework. This is the one I put up here. But that gives us a way, if we know, we use the apparent magnitudes, we can measure those. If we can measure the HR diagram of a star, a star cluster, and we can tell, we can find the, find the main sequence, once we calibrate, once we know where the main sequence is, and that a star like the sun is so bright, you know, we know exactly where it goes, we've, met, we've got the apparent magnitude to plot it, we can then determine the absolute magnitude. So we may be able to get, and we can see the apparent magnitudes, and we can determine the absolute magnitudes. That gives us a way to calculate the distance. So we can determine the distance to this star cluster just by measuring its HR diagram. This is very similar to what I've talked about in terms of spectroscopic parallax. And what you might get is if you had a star that had an apparent magnitude of, how did I do this? Let's say the apparent magnitude was plus 5. Relatively faint star. So not a horribly bright star. And you had an absolute magnitude, capital M, of 0. Okay? Then this star should be really bright, but it looks relatively faint, meaning it's further away than a standard star. This number, m minus m, big a, little m minus big M, is what we call a distance modulus. It's a measure of the distance. So it's the distance modulus. It lets us determine. So if we can determine this number, that gives us a distance almost immediately. If this is a large number, as it is here, 5 minus 0, then that means that the star is further away than, a, than what we call the standard distance. What's the standard distance? That's just what we've picked out to be, it's just been chosen by astronomers to be 10 parsecs away. That's why this 10 is here. So it's just a standard distance that astronomers have chosen to compare other stars to. So if you say this is a larger number, that this, that this parent magnitude, so it's a lot fainter than it should be. This is how bright it should be if it we're at the standard distance. This is how bright it appears to us. A larger number means it's fainter. So it's got to be further away than the standard distance. We can calculate that by putting the numbers in here. And you'd get that 5 minus 0 Okay, 5 minus 0 is 5, right? Do it step by step here for you. Because I know the fun part's coming up. Divide both sides by 5, so we'd get 1. In order to get rid of a logarithm, you raise things 10 to that power. If you have a scientific calculator, there's an inverse log function or a 10 to the x. That will do the same thing. So this would be 10 to the first power is equal to, I know this is going to look like a mess, 
10 to that power, but the 10 and the log end up canceling each other out. So you don't need to worry about that. And that just becomes that 10 is the distance divided by 10. So once you get to this point, you just raise 10 to this power and that wipes out all this log, all the yucky logarithm stuff goes away. So that your distance is then 10 times 10, or your distance is 100 parsecs. Which is correct from what I told you, right? I said it had to be, because it looked fainter, it had to be further away than the standard distance. Now, you won't do that calculation on a quiz. I'm not leaving that up. That's not, that's not the quiz. So don't worry about it. You're not going to do that on the You do have one on the homework. I, I already war, I warned you. This is exactly what you do. You do it the same way. Your number doesn't work out quite so simple as this one. It's not going to be 1 or 2. It's probably going to be you know, 2.3 something. But all you have to do is take, when you get to this stage, take 10, raise it to whatever that power is, and then multiply it by 10 again and you get your answer. So that's all you need to do for it. I can do one more example if you want to see one more. Yes? Okay. Let's do it the other way. Let's do one that comes out the other way around. So let's do a look at the opposite. What if we had the apparent magnitude is 0 and the absolute magnitude is plus 5? Just going to switch the numbers around. So apparent magnitude is 0. That's one of the brightest stars in the sky, right? That's a real bright star. But it shouldn't be. Should be it's, intrinsically, it's a very faint star. So it only looks bright because it's close. So this star would actually be closer, has to be closer than 10 parsecs. So this star would actually be closer to us. So we can do the same, same equation. m minus m is 0 minus 5, just doing it the other way around, is equal to 5. Everything else is exactly the same. Except now you have negative 5 Okay, divide both sides by 5, now we have negative 1 and do the same thing. So 10 to the minus 1 power is 10 or 0.1 equals distance divided by 10. Okay, so point one, with this again, this just gets rid of that 10 to the power just gets rid of the logarithm. So all of a sudden you have point one is d over 10, or the distance is one parsec. So if you have those examples, look through those. Try them again. You know, don't look at them. See if you can work through them. Then try the one on the homework. The one on the homework is going to be, it's not going to come out to a one on the one there. Yes, sir? The lowercase m is the apparent magnitude. Should have put those up here. That's apparent. That is how bright it looks on the sky to us. Capital M is the absolute. That is how bright the star really intrinsically is. So that measures how bright it is intrinsically. So you'd have how bright it appears to be, how bright it really is. So if it looks fainter, than it should be, then it must mean it's further away. Should be this bright? Nope, it's a lot fainter. It's further away than our standard distance. 
This star looks a lot brighter than it should, so it's a lot closer. One is one parsec away, which doesn't even exist to any star because there's no star that's one parsec away. The closest star is a little over that, but calculation is still the same. So it must be a very close star. If we had a star like this, it would have to be a very close star to us. A star like this would have to be much further away. And even this is relatively close. Even 100 parsecs is only 300 and some light years. It's still relatively close to us. So that's just that's more the example for your homework that you're going to look at. I would try looking at these two. You can play with the numbers. If you still have questions, you know, ask me next week. You know, take a look at it. Try looking at that one and see if you can figure it out. If you need me to go over it again next week, I'll come back and go over it again on Monday. Or, or sorry, Monday. How about Tuesday next week? I can go over it Monday too, but it's not going to help you a lot, right? But we can go over it Tuesday of next week. If you take a chance to look at it, if you have questions, you know, ask me. Ask me in class at the beginning. I'll take a few minutes and we'll go over, I'll go over it one more time. Okay. But that's what you're doing for that's what we're doing for the that's what you're doing for the homework there. Now what we get when we look at the star clusters, and here's a couple here. There's a nice, very dense star cluster here called a globular cluster. And when you look at that, you get a very nice main sequence. You get subgiants, you get red giants coming up here. You actually get a horizontal branch here. And another, what we call an asymptotic giant branch, where it goes back up. So we have giant branch up here, giants, and then up to the supergiants. And the horizontal branch and the white dwarfs. What we're seeing there is we're seeing essentially stellar evolution in action. You know, as much as we can see it, we can't watch one individual star, but we're watching a whole bunch of stars here that aren't that different in mass, that have all, they all four, well, should they, they were that different in mass. Eventually, you formed a whole main sequence of stars. You notice there's nothing up here, right? They're all gone. These stars, these are the very bright, hot stars. They don't live very long, so they're gone. They've already gone through their lives, and in a cluster like this, they're gone, disappeared, white dwarfs, neutron stars, black holes, they're all gone. But the stars, maybe like the sun, are the ones that are just leaving the main sequence. So stars like the sun might be up in here. And stars slightly more massive have gone further along their lives. Now we're going to come back again two chapters from now and go through this in much more detail and look at how they actually move through this path. But we can understand, start to understand how stars move, how stars change over time by looking at these clusters. When we look at another cluster, this is a globular cluster. This is called an open cluster. Open cluster is a much younger cluster of stars. And if you notice, as you compare these two, this had lots of real faint stars. This doesn't have a whole lot. This has got a lot of brighter stars and then a few red giants. Not near as well defined as this older star, where there's lots more stars that were involved in, in the cluster. What did you say about the glo was it globular? Globular. Glob? It's a big glob. Big glob of stars. Think of it that way. It's a globular cluster. It's a much older cluster. It's been around for 10 billion years. These form very early in the history of our galaxy. So after 10 billion years, all the real hot mass of stars are gone. They only live a few million years, 10 million years, 100 million years, a billion years. Even the ones that live just that long are long since gone 10 billion years later. They disappeared. It's stars like the sun that are left. So stars like the sun and less massive stars are the ones that are left. These stars still haven't even left. They're still on the main sequence. So what happens as a, as a cluster forms, it starts off with a nice main sequence all the way up. And over time, we end up, you end up losing 
disappearing slowly, the main sequence will disappear from the top down. And you'll end up with something here where stars are just leaving the main sequence here. What we can determine from this is where the stars turn off tell, can tell us how old the cluster is. Because we can figure out the, what type of star is leaving. And if it's a star like the sun, well that cluster is about 10 billion years old. If it's a much more massive stars, you know, here the stars that are just leaving, it's a lot harder to see, but these stars here maybe are just starting to leave. That, star, that cluster is a lot younger. That might be only, you know, 100 million years old. I know, still real old, right? But comparatively, much younger. You know, when you compare 10 billion years to 100 million years, you know, say 10 billion, 100 million, that's like comparing about a, a one-year-old to a hundred-year-old, you know? in human life, so it's, it's a big difference, right? You know, one is just beginning its life, one is at the end of its life. Okay. So what do we learn? We learn from the HR diagram, we're going to learn how stars form, how they live, how they die. A star starts out on the HR diagram, again, each, each picture each is a snapshot. So you take a little snapshot of it. If you look at a star just as it's forming, it's actually way up over here towards the upper right side. So actually even a star like the sun was up over here at one point and has since moved. They'll move around, they'll be born here. They'll move towards the main sequence. We don't see a lot of stars there. And we'll talk about that next time is because stars are buried in these in, these, in this gas and dust and they're really hidden. So they're sort of still hidden in their cocoon. But if you could actually see them, they'd end up somewhat over here on the, main on the HR diagram. And they slowly move as they collapse. They slowly move and then end up somewhere on the main sequence depending on how much mass they have. Something like the sun will end up here in the middle. Something with a lot less mass will end up way down on this end. Something with a lot more mass will end up way up over here. So that takes a relatively, relatively short amount of time. Millions of years, hundreds of millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years. And again, relatively short because once the sun, for example, is here, it's there for 10 billion years. If you're staying there for 10 billion years, what's 100 million, right? It's, you know, one year, one year of a life. It's a, important, but it's, it's relatively small compared to the entire life of the sun. And then after the sun sits there for 10 million years and does about nothing. So you'll see our next, our next chapter talks about the formation of stars. The chapter after that talks about the deaths of stars. We don't talk about the life of a star. It's boring. Nothing happens. The sun sits there for 10 billion years. We appreciate that it does because it gives us nice steady light for many years and heat and all that good stuff. But in terms of studying what's going on, it's just sitting there. You know, we're not learning anything about how stars work by just studying the sun sitting there on the main sequence. Afterwards, in the next chapter, jumps to as it leaves the main sequence and goes up to the red giant and to the supergiant phase. So it'll go back up to that upper right-hand section. So here's an example of what might happen for something like the sun. Again, I'm jumping ahead. This is actually from the next chapter. But the sun might do something like this. It's here right now on the main sequence. Then its following stage will start moving it up to, to a red giant and then up in towards a supergiant phase. At some point it jumps back down and comes down in here in what we call a horizontal branch. 
And then it, it sort of found a new energy source, essentially. And then once it does that, after another 100 million years, it kind of goes off and fiddles around over there, becomes a planetary nebula, throws its outer layers off into space, and the core settles down to be a white dwarf. So the sun, come back in about 6 billion years, will be way down here. So it'll have gone through all these stages. But again, still, most of its life is going to be spent right here. It'll go up and around, jiggle around there a little bit, push off its outer layers, and then the core will be all that's left later. Okay. Come on. So what we see is that you see that massive stars will go faster. As they go through their lives, massive stars evolve faster, and low mass stars will evolve more slowly. And I'm going to come back to this in a, in a minute. I'm going to come with one other thing here first. Where did I put that? Right here. So if we wanted to look at a very massive star, here's a star. We're going to do a star 100 times the mass of the sun. And this will just simulate how it's going to move on the HR diagram. So it'll start out where it is, and then we'll watch it. Oops, let's put it on auto or it'll take forever. And what will happen to a very massive star is it slowly, it started on the, on the main sequence. Main sequence would be running, we'll see it in a little minute, but it would run from up here down to here. And it's just slowly moving towards the right-hand side. So a star much more massive than the sun, it's going to start out blue, but then it's going to get to be a white, orange, red star as it gets towards the end of the life. It doesn't change much in brightness. Its brightness increased a tiny bit if you look at that there, but it didn't change tremendously. It pretty much just stayed. It got cooler and it got bigger and it moved straight across. Now smaller stars do things a little bit differently. A star like the sun, let's go and do the sun here. So one solar mass starts off much lower down the main sequence. But you can see what's happening to the sun. It's moving up and around and up. So it'll go up and down and around and eventually end up, again, likely not near as bright as some of the other stars, but it'll still become many times brighter than it was. It was one time the brightness of the sun and we end up up here, you know, a hundred, several hundred times the brightness of the sun. The other thing to note is the time. That took about six billion years. I didn't show, I should have mentioned that on the first one, but if you went back and looked at the first one, if anyone happened to notice it, it took it about three million years. So six billion years there. If we went back and did the hundred solar mass, Watch how the time scale is so much different. I have it adjusted. If I did it in real time, we could sit here all day to watch one like the, like the sun. But look at the time scale. You're talking, we're pushing just 3 million years. Nine, three. And it goes quicker and quicker over there as it gets over there. So that, that took 3 million years. Something like the sun took over 6 billion years to go from where it is now to the end, towards the, toward closer to the end of its life. And stars in between will do similar things. Let's do something somewhere in between, about five times the size of the sun. Somewhere in the middle there. Looks very similar, but again, notice the time frames were already a lot longer than the much more massive star. But you can see how fast it's moving compared to what the sun did. You know, we're at 70, 70 million years. Does the same kind of pattern. But most of the stars do end up, you see how a lot of them do end up in that red giant region. 
Look where all the stars are ending up here towards the red giants. And you end up even a star like the sun, a star five times more massive, or a star a hundred times more massive. They all end up over there at some point. So that's why we see a lot of stars concentrated in that upper right corner in the red giant region. You don't see as many here as they've moved off. You will see some blue giants. But they're all, it's, that's sort of just a stage as they're going towards the red giant, red giant phase. So you can see this, and this goes through again for any, you can do any mass of star, range of masses of stars. They all do pretty much the same pattern. They all work over towards that upper right hand, upper right hand corner. And again, this is actually the subject of chapter 12, 11 and 12 is what we're going to be talking about, but I'm trying to give you like a brief outline of it right now. So we were here, we're almost done with these. So the massive stars evolve faster. Again, I showed you that. Three million, three million years to go for a star 100 times massive, more massive than the sun. A star like the sun takes about 10 billion years. Got about 6 billion years to finish its life, to go through all of its stages. And I didn't do a lower mass star, but if you do something half the mass of the sun, it doesn't take 10 billion years, it can take 100 billion years. Some of the lowest mass stars could take a trillion years. So beyond what we can even imagine because that's significantly older than the age of the universe. So there are stars that have formed that we can't completely study their evolution because we just don't know. We, don't, we have not been able to observe any of those stars that have left the main sequence. They go through, they so faint, they go through their energy so slowly, you know, they're conserving all their energy and they just last for a very, very long time. A white dwarf is where the sun will end up. So the sun will end up as something like a white dwarf which is down in the bottom, bottom left-hand corner where it's a very faint star and a very hot star. So very high temperature, but very, very faint, meaning as we go down this way, big stars there, very small stars down here. So white dwarfs, here they are, down in the bottom left-hand corner of the HR diagram, so hiding way down here. So bottom left, again, same image I already showed you, pretty much, that's something like the sun going through all of its stages, ending up as a white dwarf star. What the white dwarfs are, they're very hot, uh, much hotter than the sun. They can be tens of thousands, 20,000, 30,000 degrees. They're in the very lower left corner of the HR diagram. And they're essentially the remnant of a dead, they're the remnant, they're the core, the core of the sun left over after it's used up all its energy. So it's a big hot ball of matter that's just slowly cooling off. So white dwarfs do change slowly over time. They will change from a white dwarf and they'll slowly cool off. As they cool off, they'll move sort of down this line, meaning that they're getting cooler, so they're moving this way, and they're getting fainter as they move down. Their size will not change, so they'll move essentially in a diagonal line down this direction. Their size isn't going to change. They're going to be exactly the same. All they are is this big hot ball of matter that's slowly cooling off, slowly radiating its energy out into space. It takes a very long time to do that. We know that it will happen because the white dwarfs have to radiate out their energy, but the amount of time that it will take to go from being a white dwarf to what we'd call a black dwarf, be completely dark, eventually it would completely cool off, be dark. We call it a white dwarf because it's bright in, the white, bright in the white part of the spectrum. As it cooled off, it would become a black dwarf. Be completely dark, just be a big lump of material in, in, the, in the universe. We'd never be able to see it. It wouldn't be putting out any energy. You wouldn't be able to see it until you got right there. 
but the time that it takes is beyond the age of the universe. The time that it would take, we can calculate how long it would take a white dwarf to cool, and that's beyond the age of the universe. So we have, it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be one in existence yet. We'd have many billions of years to wait. And let me see what I have to finish here. These are just a couple examples of what might be left over. The one on the left is what the sun might be. This will be the sun in about five billion years. There's the white dwarf at the center, the core. And here's the big outer layers of the sun. The outer layers get pushed off into space. So it'll become a big planetary nebula like that. A more massive star explodes. And if you can tell the difference, this doesn't look, doesn't look like anything really violent happened here. It's like a big balloon. That one looks like something happened. That was actually a star that exploded about a thousand years ago. And that was a star that so it tore itself apart and you're seeing the remnants of that star scattered throughout the area just like you see with this one. But this was a much more violent end to a more massive star's life. Alright, let me just finish this up so I can give you your quiz. Yay! A lot of information on the HR diagram. The HR diagram is your quiz so I'll, I'll erase the diagram there but I'm going to be asking you to draw it again. So if you've got that there and you know where the pieces are, you know where the main sequence, the white dwarfs, the red giants, what you put on the axes, you have a couple minutes, you have a minute or so to look at it, review it before I give you the quiz, that's what I'm going to be asking you. No, I won't leave it up while you do the quiz. <laughs> but we plot, th we can learn things about, we plot the temperature and brightness, we can learn things about the mass and the radius. On it we can look at how stars change and evolve over time. So what happens to the stars as they get as they use up their energy. That's going to be, again, the subject of our next couple of chapters that we're going to talk about. Most of their life is on the main sequence. So most of their life, 90% of their life, is right here on the main sequence. That's where it spends most of its time. And the rest of it will be spent, likely will be in the red giant phase. Once it's a dead star, then it will spend the remainder, everything else, will be spent as a white dwarf, slowly cooling off over time. So, that finishes up our HR diagram, and if I understand you're doing, probably going to do something with an HR diagram for lab today too, so really going to push it on in you, into you today. So That's my understanding, unless he changed his mind since I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> Any questions on it before I erase? Or do you want to get it down, you want a minute to look at it and study it before I hand out tests? <laughs> Anything else? We're ready? Ready, ready, ready? Okay. I'll leave those up if you want your calculations. But essentially that's just what I'm going to ask you to redo. There, can you see the remnants of it? Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to stop.